Hello, welcome to the Charity Impact Podcast, where we aim to help you increase your charity's income and impact by sharing the experience and expertise of our guests. I'm Alex Blake, your podcast host, and I'm joined today by Rob Laycock, who alongside Stephanie Cole is co-founder of Yes We Can Community Kick. Rob's background is in the arts and social change, previously being CEO of Helix Arts, and for the last 10 years or so, I think, uh, supporting the voluntary sector in the Northeast as a consultant, facilitator, coach, and with colleagues has set up Northeast Together, the network for leaders of social change, which I have to say is the best network I've ever been a part of due to the excellent facilitation of the events there by Rob and Stephanie and others, and also the sort of very intentional approach that they've taken to what that network can do for social leaders and for the sector. Also, another initiative from Rob and Stephanie I want to mention, and I think I've done a couple of times on the podcast before, is the Northeast Coaching Collective. Uh, they gave people in from that network the opportunity to qualify as coaches, and then that group now offers affordable coaching to leaders of small charities in the Northeast. Uh, so I think if you are in the region, that's something definitely worth being aware of. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing leadership, looking at people development, creating great teams, some of the things you might want to invest in for your people when resources are tight and when you're thinking about how you can how can you support your people development. Uh, so welcome to podcast, Rob. How are you today? How was that intro? How many things did I get wrong? <laughs> <laughs> that was an extremely good intro, Alex. I, I appreciate that. I'm feeling suitably flattered. And <laughs> <laughs> it might job a bit easier in terms of uh, starting to explain the work we do and and the reason why we, we approach that work. So thank you for inviting me onto this podcast. Really looking forward to to the conversation. No problem. So I mean, feel free to give any sort of background context and stuff before we get into detail, if you want, or we can just kind of jump straight in. So I mean, first of all, uh, I suppose just yeah, the aim to develop social leadership, thinking about developing people where where shall we start i haven't got a very good first question shall <laughs> well, I just think, why don't you start us off and then uh I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll actually come up with some real questions sure um <laughs> shall i just add in, add in a little more detail on on the focus of our work at the moment over the last three years interestingly we've just come to our the end of our third year of trading as a community interest company. So we're doing lots of kind of reflection and looking back as well as planning ahead. Um, so as you mentioned, Yes We Can's a community interest company. We formed uh, formally in the middle of lockdown, actually on the 1st of September 2020, we started trading. And the focus of the work is say everything kind of hangs off this idea of, of social leadership. And I suppose for us, and very much inspired by one of our speakers at Northeast Together, uh, George Thompson, this idea of kind of leadership, the verb, rather than leadership, the noun, or leaders, the noun. So leadership being the things that we need to do, that need organising, that need to happen in our context to make our region a better place for everyone to live and, and work. So I guess everything kind of hangs off that. And I suppose then the things that we focus on at the moment in terms of, well, if that's what we're about, what types of things are we driving? What types of things are we providing for people, for, the, for, for, for those people, particularly in the Northeast, and, and focus particularly on the voluntary community social enterprise sector? So I think that hangs around uh, leadership and management development. I think there's a fairly chronic lack of opportunities for people to take time out of their busy day jobs in the sector to think about their own leadership and management within their context. So that's a mix of open programs. We run a couple of those a year, internal programs, particularly with bigger organizations, and also tailored programs linked to specific initiatives. Um, and one of those was with the Northeast Youth Alliance fairly recently, who have a focus around workforce development, which I know is something that we're gonna be focusing on to some extent today. Then this whole chunk of interest around coaching linked to that mentoring and action learning. They have lots of things in common for people who are uh, involved with and sort of passionate about those kind of spaces for conversation and exploration and kind of taking action and, and moving forward. So lots of things in there. You've mentioned the coach training. You've mentioned the Northeast Coaching Collective. And I guess that's all about, you know, moving towards more of a coaching culture in our, our sector in the northeast and what is our contribution to that how can we contribute to that sort of shift in in way of being together in teams in organizations and across organizations 
We've then got a big chunk of uh, interest and work around charity governance. Uh, it's essential to get governance right. Uh, we all know it's a challenge. Great when it's good. Hard work when it's not going quite so well for everybody, to be honest, for chief execs, for teams and for trustees volunteering their time in there. So there's work to do to, to think about and support trustees and governance, uh, particularly small organisations that typically struggle to appoint and retain trustees in the first place. As you've mentioned, an interest in networks and collaboration, a real passion for collaboration, I think, in, in, in our work. Uh, lots I could say about that, but I won't because I know it's not the subject of the podcast. And also in all of that, kind of one-to-one support to individual organisations. So there's a mix of things going on there. We're probably working with eight to 12 to 15 organisations a year, and it might be touching on any number of those things, but bespoke to them, their context and the work that they're doing. So I guess that's us as a whole. Interestingly, because we're going to talk about being our best at work, we each work three days a week. Work Life balance is really important to us. So together, myself and Stephanie, we're working six days a week between the, between the two of us. And we're pretty hard on that. So we're not overworking. We're not kind of saying one thing and doing another thing. Anybody who knows me knows that this is a hobby horse of mine. So I'm going to shut up about it. Just to sort of say, that's the scale of organization. We are by design, by intent. And that's to do with our motivations, interests, but it's also to do with our own kind of health and well-being and work-life balance and those those types of things, which I think is really key. And I think people struggle to get that stuff right. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll probably come on to that a little bit as well uh, in the conversation so you can you can get back onto your hobby horse for maybe a, a few Can't minutes wait. at least. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, what are what are some of the sort of challenges and opportunities typically when when people are thinking about sort of workforce, whether it's workforce development or you know thinking about their teams, thinking about themselves as leaders, and as you say, maybe it's chief execs, maybe it's trustees, maybe it's thinking about managers or wider teams. Uh, what are some of the sort of challenges and opportunities around that? Yeah. So. Um... Again, I guess because this year, in fact, this month, in fact, I, I suppose I'm, I'm kind of 30 years in, into my career. And I think the older you get, you sort of look back and you sort of see the patterns in your own career and your work and the opportunities you had uh, and have continued to have and all those types of things. It gives you that sort of perspective. It's quite, quite interesting to do some of that looking back and looking at patterns and trends. So it's the best, I suppose for me, I would kind of broadly say, I feel like I've been doing leadership management for about 30 years. I would say I've been thinking about it and kind of studying it probably for about 20 years. And I think in the last decade, a little bit more than a decade, I've been kind of sharing that thinking with others. So I suppose the work we're doing now for me personally kind of draws on all that doing and all that thinking and now that kind of sharing and engaging people with what's going on for them and what would be helpful for them. So because of that and working with with people like Stephanie and other people like like Kath Brown is, is also a founder of, of Yes We Yes We Can. It's kind of brilliant, brilliant people doing incredible work and layering in their experience uh, alongside my own. We've done quite a lot of thinking and work around what this all means, because there's loads of stuff out there. You can Google leadership and management. It's been going on forever. <laughs> you know, you can do MBAs, uh, you can do PhDs on this stuff. Um, where do you sort of start, I suppose? What's the kind of way in, particularly for smaller organisations, hard-pressed with time, those types of things, which tend to be the focus of our work, smaller charities in particular, some million pound turnover, certainly. Um, you know, how do we kind of make this stuff interesting and accessible and sort of available, this sort of huge body of work and ideas and theories and practice? <laughs> So to help with that, we can share that. Uh, I'm sure there's mechanisms after the podcast, Alex, to share resources and links to things. So we'll we'll follow this up with links to those things that I'm going to kind of mention a bit so people have got some kind of practical stuff they can sort of look at. Yeah, we'll have a dedicated web page where we can list out the resources and things. So all of that stuff would be great. Great. Thanks, Alex. So where we're at at the moment, we think about it in three ways and we call them best self, great teams, and amazing together and they kind of do what they say on the tin and they are sort of within each other if that makes sense 
So I suppose if we're thinking about our leadership, we're thinking about management, we're thinking about being in a team, leading teams, leading organizations, all that kind of stuff, which is the work of our sector, work of our organizations. We've kind of boiled it down to these three ideas. It starts with self and being our best self at work, not being perfect, <laughs> not beating ourselves up about the stuff that we struggle with or aren't our preferences, but, you know, aspiring to do our best work aspiring to be our best self at work for the purposes of the work and the team and those types of things. I'm going to I'll mention a little bit about our best self framework. Um, I'll also mention a little bit about our great teams framework. We're not going to talk about amazing together because that's more in the collaboration realm. And I think in the conversation of today, we're thinking more within organizations. We're thinking about me within that organization. And we're thinking about how I'm operating within that team, especially if I'm a lead, in a leadership position where I can influence and create space for for culture for for good cultures for teams for people to sort of thrive when i have that kind of authority and i have that ability to do that i think i think that's particularly important yeah that makes sense i think collaboration is such a big topic we can easily do it i mean you could do a whole podcast series let alone episode on that so maybe that's something we'll come back to another time uh so uh, yeah let's start with this topic of best self and i guess that's that's where i thought maybe we'll come back to some of your hobby horse stuff as well because i suppose there's part of that has to be that sort of personal uh, you know sort of self-care and things like that as well so you yeah. you come into work in in the right sort of frame of mind and and all of those sorts of things um so why why don't you take us through some of those kind of aspects yeah. that you look at in that sort of best best self module if that's the right sort of term yeah, we've got, so we have a framework, we have a self-assessment tool, we have a learning resource, and we have a kind of PDP, so a kind of professional development tool, if if if, if you like, if you if if you use that sort of language. So I'm not going to read out everything that's in both of these frameworks because that's going to take up too much time. And we're going to share the link to the framework so people can have a look at everything um, and get that sense. So what I've decided to do today is focus on what I think are kind of key in each of these areas. So sort of take the framework and all the things we think are important and see if I can get that down a bit more, just so that we can get to the essence. If we haven't got time for all these things, <laughs> what might we find time for, you know? Uh, and I think that's always a challenge is finding time for this stuff and finding a resource to do it if it's if it's cost money. It doesn't, and lots of things don't have to cost money, but sometimes they do. So, so I'm not going to mention all of them. To our best self framework um, has nine elements. We'll share the framework uh, so you can have a look at that in your own time. It does start with looking at the self. So there is a whole kind of area around health, well-being, sort of resilience. I know we have some mixed feelings on, on the word resilience. I do too. I think it's kind of a bit misappropriated sometimes or overused. But I think all we're saying is that kind of looking after self, you know, how good are we at it? What do I need to look after myself? You know, what does a typical week look like for me? How do I feel what, well so I can be my best in the organisation? Again, not about being perfect, just, just but just making sure that, you know, I'm arriving at work, I'm, you know, having looked after myself. Good, good night's sleep, good nutrition, hopefully some exercise, good connection with friends and family, and, 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 probably. The whole section on that, I think, Really interesting. Some top three, I would say, in there, which I wouldn't include uh, looking after self, although it's massively important and it's right at the front of our framework. I think self awareness is really key in terms of being your best self. I think linked to self awareness, emotional intelligence. So, if people have looked at emotional intelligence, which has been around a few decades now, I think that's really key. So, knowing yourself, knowing your preferences, knowing your strengths. And then your things you're less good at, but also what comes with the emotional intelligence focus is kind of self-regulation and sort of self-control. So I suppose what I mean by that is how well do I know myself? How well do I understand my emotions and where they come from? So that when I'm interacting with others, particularly within the organization, I'm bringing that awareness Working more effectively with people, I think, because of that that awareness, so that self-regulation aspect of, it, of, of EQ, emotional intelligence, often shorthanded to EQ, I think is really interesting. And again, we don't always get it right. We can't always do it. But that sort of just enough awareness to know that actually this is something going on for me today. I'm not going to bring that to this other person. I'm not going to bring that to this team because it's not 
about us and it's not about the situation it's it's my thing that i need to sort of process and work with alongside that in in the eq framework is social awareness so this is about kind of empathy in particular so reading the emotions of others having an interest in how people are kind of all, all that that stuff and and there's uh, we'll put links into emotional intelligence there's all sorts of self-assessments you can do there's all sorts of exercises you can do there's a common error in thinking that says oh some people are just more emotionally intelligent than others <laughs> kind of not true yes some people are perhaps a bit more naturally empathetic uh, but we can all work on our emotional intelligence it's not a good enough excuse to say oh well i'm not not very emotionally <laughs> so there's work work we can kind of uh, do around that so i think i think i would put self-awareness and an eq together as a kind of key area for individuals to have a look at and particularly for leaders we don't have self-aware leaders that don't have high levels of eq i think we're in all sorts of trouble so i think with all this stuff i kind of think there's an additional there's an obvious additional responsibility for those in positions of leadership and management responsible for teams to really be walking the talk of this stuff even if not you know kind of more so than others others in the team they've got to be leading by example they've got to be yeah kind of walking the talk of this stuff or what do we expect what's that culture going to be like what's that teamwork going to be like I'll go through a couple more pretty quickly. Uh, not going into a great deal of depth with them. Being organised and effective. Interesting one. We've had a few conversations about this over the years, Alex. Interesting. <laughs> Again, not about being perfect. Not about, you know, none of this is about being perfect, nor beating ourselves up about the things we're not naturally great at. But I think it's reasonable for us to be organised in our work when working with other people. And again, if we're leaders and managers and we're a bit unreliable, if we're a bit disorganized, sometimes with these things, if you think about the opposite. Mm. Have, we ever, have you ever worked with a manager who's disorganized? Uh, yeah, <laughs> once or, or twice. <laughs> or, you know, it's, it's maddening, isn't it? It's hard, yeah. you know, it's, it's hard yeah. work. So lead and by example. And it's often basic stuff, isn't it? That kind of leads to either being organized or disorganized, isn't it? It's kind of one well, of the two main kind of bugbears that, I'll bang on about will be like emails and meetings, you know, yeah. be organized in those two areas and you will be more effective overall. You know, don't get distracted by email pings and stuff. Just turn them off when you're trying to focus on something and just run good meetings, make effective meetings rather than, you know, these long things that kind of ramble on and don't get anywhere or have really long agendas so you don't get through the half of the items that you need to or all of that kind of stuff um but yeah we'll not we'll not do an episode on that <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there are a couple of great i think yeah there are there are a couple of great great tips uh, and i would i would agree with you you know if you just focused on doing two things differently they wouldn't that would be a good place to place to start i think my next area is communication kind of everything isn't it I think the more under pressure we are, the more uncertainty there is. All the research, all the data says it gets even harder. So, and, you know, we've had all sorts of challenges to cope with over the last the last three years. So it's got even harder. And people, yeah, the likelihood of our kind of messaging, our communication landing as intended, even less likely. Mm-hmm. So work to do around communication, recognizing all the stuff that gets in the way of people hearing what we're trying to communicate and send. So we've got to have heard people talk about over communicating, you know, checking, getting feedback, just not assuming. And again, email can be a terrible and all the other sort of uh, messaging apps that we have nowadays can be a, a terribly reductive way of communicating with people, but very, very popular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lacking nuance, you know, lacking all sorts of things you know it might ping in your box from your boss but what does that mean and where's it coming from and have i done something wrong and how do i feel about it oh that's that's making me feel a bit anxious i'm not quite sure what they want you know but i don't want to ask Mm. so i'll just come across as feeling a bit silly you know so communication and work around communication as a team and having protocols and all sorts of stuff work to 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 do there so I, th- I think in terms of self, I'd, I'd pick those out. There are other things. I think if if my colleague was here, she'd be talking about vulnerability, trust, and courage. I think that's really important. I think, and and again, for leaders, being able to show vulnerability in a way that's sort of appropriate, being able to kind of build trust, being trustworthy. It's that kind of classic stuff, isn't it? A kind of lifetime 
to build and a moment to break. So, yeah, encourage if if we're in this space and we're trying to make a difference, it's going to be challenging at times, to say the least. If we're doing things that nobody else is doing because they're important to get done, we're going to need some courage and we're going to need to push forward with things, you know, for years, not months or weeks. (laughs) So vulnerability trust and courage, I think, would be would be another of our maybe top four or five things within within that framework. So I've tried to yeah. kind of just draw what I think are most important. I think self-awareness, EQ, if you've not come across it before, have a look at it. I think it's really interesting. Lots of material around that because it's been around a couple of decades. Yeah, it seems to me like almost almost all of those other things kind of hang off of that. Um, emotional intelligence one and I, I don't know if that's just because I'm using it as a shorthand for more than what it is but it seems like for example with the kind of communication one it seems like if you've worked on the emotional intelligence side of things and then you know you're bringing that awareness of yourself and your awareness of other people and their sort of preferences and things like that then if then the communication is kind of the practical application of that awareness then it kind of flows from that um and and some of the other things you mentioned as well yeah definitely yeah uh, yeah it's a, it's a, it's a big one isn't it i suppose it's it's one of those things that in many ways i suppose has probably as you say it's been around for a couple of decades the idea and lots of kind of work on it but it maybe gets sort of less emphasis when people think about leadership and they're thinking about strategy and when they you know you think about management and it's it's been more about the kind of harder structured kind of sides of of it rather than that sort of emotional intelligence side of things so i suppose lots of lots of leaders in the sector will have done sort of leadership courses a long time ago uh and, and not so much recently so i suppose there's maybe a bit of sometimes a bit of a lack of having spent time really looking at that um emotional intelligence side of things as part of your role as a as a ceo or whatever role it might be in an organization uh so yeah it just it, it seems like such an important one um and as you say that you need your leaders to be exhibiting those behaviors that you want the rest of your team to be to be demonstrating as well in their work um so yeah, yeah definitely i think yeah if, if there was and i suppose that you know that example you get there of oh, I did my training forever ago and it I kind of drifted. But I guess the self awareness would mm. say I need to be continually learning and developing, and that's another thing I need to model. And that is in our framework as well. I just haven't highlighted it. So I guess that self awareness would say, you know, if I'm in that leadership position, I am also investing in my development, and I'm you know not questioning, but sort of making sure that I'm kind of growing and developing. I'm not just relying on that course I did. Mm-hmm. however many years ago for me that was 2001 or two you know hey, yeah. i'm just sat back and kind of relying on my management diploma um yeah it would be very rusty wouldn't it so so i think that's yeah. something that says, I, I, yeah, I think you, you see those you see those two different types of leaders don't you not to kind of pigeonhole people completely but you do you see leaders saying those things you know you get some people like oh well yeah, I've done an MBA, you know, not doesn't matter that it's 20 years ago or whatever it is that they've done. They're kind of like, yeah, I've done that. I've been a leader for 30 years now. I've done this, that, and the other, you know, I'm I'll kind of know it all. And then you you also have the leaders that do talk more about that kind of continuous process of learning and developing. And they're, you know, they're learning from other members of the team and other members of the community and the sector and and, and that sort of thing, and completely different. A completely different language and as you say it's partly that awareness but it's quite interesting when you witness it isn't it when you perhaps are in environments where there are a number of different leaders and you hear those kind of different ways of talking you can really kind of pick up on some of those things um, yeah, so, yeah definitely yeah hopefully hopefully there's a trend towards that kind of you know recognizing the value of learning and you know continuous learning and also thinking about some of those things like emotional intelligence as well as that sort of more like how do i do a strategy how do i manage people <laughs> but also thinking about some of those other things as well that maybe brings us on to thinking about the teams side of things so as leaders you know if we've 
done some of that work on on ourselves then how can we how can we create great teams yes yeah, so, so i've gone through a similar process again we've done some deep work on on this and we've created our own kind of great teams framework so that comes with a self-assessment tool an extensive learning resource um and uh, a, a kind of team development planner if if you like uh, so i'm not going to mention all the elements of the framework currently has 10 elements actually uh, but we are revising it down to nine because we think the first two are probably the same <laughs> but uh nine, nine elements in there and we'll we'll share that so you can have a look at everything but again taking this approach of what's the essence of great teamwork and I'm in that, and if I'm, and this isn't just for people kind of leading teams, leading organisations. I think this is for anybody in a team. You know, if we want to work effectively in a team, we need a sort of shared responsibility for the work that we do together. We can't just default to the to the leader or the manager or or, or, or whoever they may be facilitating the activity, making it happen, resourcing it. But we all have a responsibility. So just go around these. Um, I think this will take a little less time because you'll hear some themes coming through again. <laughs> so sort of reinforce what we've already said. Kind of first on our list, dead obvious, um, shared purpose and goals. Just just a thought before we were getting to all of them, Rob, as well, like when we talk about teams, I think people might have a perception of what, what we mean by team, but yeah. maybe you can explain what, what you would envisage teams referring to. Yeah, okay. Well, I think there's definitely a scale thing here. So I think, bear in mind, with our focus being community social enterprise sector and northeast and sub million pound we do do work with larger charities but our heart and soul if you like or our kind of energy or our sort of drive and passion around this stuff is where we think there's least opportunity for people which we think is in the smaller organizations and the smaller you get we're going to have a look at some data in a little while the data says the smaller you get the less likely it is you're going to have kind of budgets and opportunities for for training and 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 development the other thing I was just thinking as well, so, so I suppose when I think of teams, there's like the team as in you might be in, I mean, in small organisations, you're probably not in a fundraising team, but you might be in like, you know, this service team or you might be in the finance team or, you know, there's those teams, there's the the whole organisation staff as one big team. And then I think there are those sort of more fluid sort of teams in that like if I'm working as a fundraiser and also working with the chief executive organization and maybe the service manager and the finance manager, then we're a team on that project we're working on, which might be like project design, bid, de- bid development kind of processes. So I think there were like all of that stuff about creating great teams. It's not just in the formal structures, but then also in you get a group of people together to do a thing whether it's might be running a great meeting might be developing a funding bid whatever it might be then that's that's also a team in my mind yeah completely agree and i would include trustee boards in this as well i think yeah. trustee boards are a team i don't think they're they often conceptualize themselves as a team and i think that creates issues so i think a framework yeah, like an this, interesting one yeah, I think a framework like this, you're absolutely right. So, you know, we're working with a social housing provider. They have 90 staff. I think that chief exec, when he talks about teams, I think he needs everybody or 90 people. More likely, we might be working with organizations that have 15 staff, might have six staff, and it'll certainly apply across those kinds of scales. Uh, but I agree, it could also... And um, we have a, another framework for collaboration, which perhaps brings other things in. But I think any team embarking on any endeavor together would probably benefit from contemplating these dynamics and doing some work around them. I think it's just to do with how, yeah, the depth of work you're doing together, how long you're working together, you know, what it is you're working on. There's something about how you apply the thinking to the to your team. So if it's a short task and finish team, you might kind of dip your toes in, have some awareness of it, use them as a kind of checklist. If you're a kind of long-term sort of big multi-year kind of established team, you're likely to go deeper into areas of the framework and do more work around things like emotional intelligence or whatever else. So I think it's a really good point, Alex. So yeah, I think I think it's all of that. I think it's any, I think probably often, often the classic distinction with teams is the difference between a team and a group, isn't it? 
So I think whenever people come together, so I think a group might just be a bunch of people hanging out together. <laughs> I think a team is there with a shared purpose and a, and a goal and working towards that shared purpose and a goal. And that might be within an organisation, might be the whole organisation, might be a trustee board delivering effective governance, might be, as you say, a task and finish kind of people coming together from different places. Thanks for that clarity, Alex. So, so I think shared purpose and goals, obvious. I think the thing I would add to that within organisations is I would extend that created together. <laughs> I think that's a bit that doesn't often happen and can be challenging in bigger organisations. I get it. But I think the more that purpose and those goals or objectives or however you're kind of describing those things in your organisations for sort of performance management, that, that resource allocation, that type of stuff, I think the more they can be created together, the more ownership that can be within the team, the better, really. I think what's up against us with that stuff is it feels like it takes more time, can't get people together, I'm on a deadline, trustees are expecting this by then, you know. But I think we've got to really strive to do our, especially, I suppose I'm particularly thinking about strategic planning processes, which we facilitate a lot of. You know, start early enough to make it as inclusive as possible. Start late and rush at it and end up doing it over the weekend at home. Okay, you'll get a plan with some goals and some objectives, but you're probably not going to get the best out, out of the team if they don't see themselves in the plan and don't feel like them. So I think that's an obvious thing, but I think it's, if you're running on traditional year ends, you know, I'm doing one on Saturday. I think it's a way day season. September, October is a great time to get everybody together and do loads of big picture thinking and you know, develop those ideas in the autumn through to maybe January, something like that, get them in front of the board. So give yourself that kind of six to nine month period for something like a strategic plan. Appreciate we're not just talking about strategic plans here, but it's a good example of purpose and goals and buy-in and sort of ownership and things. Things I'm going to uh, focus on too sound very, very familiar. So I'm just going to mention them again. EQ. <laughs> so moving beyond self, emotional intelligence, we need to have emotional intelligent teams. We need teams that can self-regulate, that have empathy in order to avoid the kind of drama that can otherwise start to happen and start to kind of distract us from, from our work. So engaging everybody in emotional intelligence, those concepts and those ideas and really that commitment to understanding what's going on and how we bring our best to that work through that self-regulation. Um, so what, what, the, what, what are some of the ways that leaders can do that? So say if you're like, you're the chief exec of a small to medium charity and you've you've been on your course, for example, and you've learned about yeah. emotional intelligence and you've kind of done it for yourself and you want to introduce your teams to it and get them more aware of themselves and each other and stuff. Like, are there, do people go off and, you know, do the tools themselves and do some reading or are there some, like, you know, what what's the sort of things that people can do? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when people come on our programmes, that's the intention that they're equipped, they're in leadership roles, and the course not only helps them with their own leadership development, um, but it gives them the kind of tools and knowledge and understanding to start to cascade that through their organisation. Not everybody does because not everybody will feel confident, not everybody will be in that sort of position. Um, but we have people who will, when we're focused on emotional intelligence, you know, next time you see them, oh, we did that with the team and we've got lots of great insight from it and we're now doing this and we're now doing that. So I think... Because it's been around a good while and because it's well developed. So when I did my first training in the early 2000s, it was a book written largely. <laughs> There's a core text, isn't there? So it was mentioned, but I don't remember us doing any work on it. And there certain, certainly wasn't, weren't all the free resources that are available around EQ now. So I think it's that kind of skillfully bringing that. I've learned this. I think it's really interesting. What do you think? Can we get a little bit of time together to have a look at it? Shall we all do the self-assessment? Let's share our kind of results. You know, something about trust and safety in all of that which is which is required <laughs> so that depends on the culture of your organization really but that's that kind of bringing that skillful facilitation into the team and there's something there's something really powerful about not being an expert in this stuff and and, and being a, learning yourself so rather than saying you know i've read the book i understand this stuff i've done the course saying i've learned about this stuff I find it really interesting. What do you think? I think being that kind of bridge for other people to kind of learn and engage. If if you find it's interesting and you think it'd be helpful for your team, being that conduit, being that kind of bridge 
facilitating those conversations and that little bit of work. If that as an area, say our self-assessment for teams is 10 areas done as a team should identify the areas that you want to work on. And if there are two or three areas and one of those is emotional intelligence, then our learning resources and all the other resources that people put in the, the link with the podcast are things you can actually do. So self-assess, where are we at? What can we do? And then you embark, you know, it becomes part of what we'll talk about a bit later on, a, a kind of team development commitment, you know, a theme, something that oh, we're working on over the next year. We're really interested in this. We're going to work on this. We're going to read around it a little bit. We're going to get together a couple of times. Lots of things you can you can do, I think. So my next repeat area is communication again. <laughs> so again, so I, I always imagine these things in deficit. So what's it like? When we haven't created our created our purpose and goals together, what's this? I don't understand that. What are you asking me to do? You know, you're probably going to get work to rule, minimum effort, a bit disgruntled, not greatly motivated for people. What's it like if if we don't have high levels of EQ? And I suppose what it's like if communication's poor. If we're all over the place with our communication, we're pinging things left, right, and centre. We don't really understand what they are. Hierarchies are in place. You know, we're in trouble. And, and it's counterintuitive the busier, busier we are to recognize the need to communicate more. Mm. It feels like we haven't got the time. Oh, you just do it. Oh, why don't they just do it? But we must. And if we don't, we've got to make that investment. We've got to find a way to make the time to communicate more effectively. And what we talk about in our program, core skills, three things to focus on in communication, listening, really listening, really, really, really listening. Not waiting for you to, to make your point or to outsmart the person, really listening to understand. And that's both ways. Asking questions. Oh, could I just clarify that? Just explain that again. I wasn't quite sure what you meant, meant by that. Would you mind? Could we have a coffee and just have it, you know, asking questions and sort of seeking feedback? So listening, questions and feedback, kind of core skills around communication. So are we listening well? Are we asking questions to seek clarity? And are we providing feedback in order that we can sort of improve? Oh, well, oh, I'd really appreciate if, or what would be helpful to me would be, or when you shared that with me like that, I found that a bit difficult to engage with. Would you might next time do that, that sort of feedback stuff. New area for teams, which was surprises, conflict and tensions, or tensions and conflict, or difference of opinion and tensions and conflict, whatever spectrum we put on it, it'll happen. It's natural. Every framework around teams and around collaboration says it will happen. <laughs> and I think, what do we do when it happens? We run for the hills. We respond with our fight, flight, freeze response, which is hardwired into us. We don't confront it. It needs confronting. We, we can't kind of work through it if it needs work through to find that kind of win-win. I think we really massively need to upskill around conflict within teams in order that it becomes a strength, a natural way of working and not something that stresses us out all the time and kind of festers, I suppose. I think it's a really interesting uh, area. So that's I'm a bit there. I think they're my kind of big hitting ones, but I've also put in fun. <laughs> Let's have fun. Uh-huh. Fun. You know, on, you know, when we're doing these things, make them fun, make them engage and have fun together. Enjoy, you know, Really massively motivating for people, smiling, kind of laughing, having fun together. You know, even on away days, <laughs> even when you're doing stuff that can feel quite dry, make it fun, make it engaging, enjoy it, facilitate it in that sort of way. Um, people will contribute more. They'll go away feeling better. They'll be more motivated. It'll be part of our kind of culture, how we do things around around here. You mentioned net. I'll just share this example. I've probably shared it with you before, but. We have a little organizing group. We have a WhatsApp group. And then we do most of the organizing through the WhatsApp group. And we all have silly bitmojis. Oh, yeah. And if you look through our WhatsApp messaging around organizing Northeast Together Network for Social Change events, just hugely serious, you know, occasionally purposeful occasions, it's just lots of fun. It's lots mm-hmm. of playfulness and it's lots of fun and it's lots of enjoying the interactions with each other and you know obviously not in appropriate ways but and by god it's motivating and you enjoy mm. it and it's really 
buoys you and really gives you the sort of energy you need to drive work that can be challenging, you know, can be challenging and difficult, often challenging and difficult, this this type of work. Lots and lots of people, there's a distinct lack of fun in their kind of working lives, isn't there? And the lack of that kind of lightheartedness. There was something I wanted to ask about just when you're talking about some of those things around conflict, around sort of feedback and things like that. Uh, and that was just thinking about that sort of psychological safety. It's come up in a few conversations in one context or another. So I was wondering, is that sort of part and parcel of of some of those things when you're talking to people about that, that kind of team environment and that sort of thing? Because you need to have that safety to be able to feel comfortable to give the feedback, don't you? And then, you know, in, in terms of dealing with some of that conflict and tension and things like that as well. Yeah, I think the psychological safety model appears in all, of, all three of our frameworks. So again, I think if you're working in collaboration, thinking about self or thinking about teams, I think those ideas that have been developed, much more recent work, isn't it? I think a lot of it come, came from sort of Google and big corporates. But there's some great stuff in stuff in there and definitely stuff that we focus on newer, but but kind of interesting. And again, you can do interesting psychological safety sort of free assessments so you can get an understanding of what you need to feel safe in the workplace as opposed to your colleague as opposed to your next so again some lovely kind of quick to do learning about each other about what i need to feel safe ecologically safe in this environment in order to trust and you know be vulnerable and be allowed to make mistakes and yeah so there's definitely definitely a really good good framework um Good to have a look at and good to sort of explore with teams and, and some great resources about freely available around psychological safety because it's kind of it's a little bit zeitgeist, isn't it? I'm not I'm not surprised it's sort of come up in in, in other conversations. Good stuff. Yeah, I think yeah, it's come up in a couple, I'm sure. Definitely. I was talking the other week to Ngozi, who you obviously know as well as part of the network and been involved, I think she's probably involved in the coaching collective as well. Uh, we were having a conversation for the podcast around equity and diversity and inclusion. So obviously psychological safety was coming up in that in terms of how people can, well, how organisations can explore that that sort of issue with their teams. Okay, so we've done best self, great teams. We're going to leave collaboration to one side, at least for today. Otherwise, we'll we'll be here for too long. So I think we were going to talk a little bit about smaller organizations uh, and under-resourced organizations maybe um yeah. thinking about their their resource their what their ability to kind of invest in people development and i suppose for organizations in general for leaders thinking about you know how much should i be investing in people development and you know what what can i spend it on you know lots of people kind of not mad about sending people on expensive training courses because often it doesn't feel like you're necessarily getting value for money there's sort of all sorts of different things you could spend it on uh so yeah let's let's get into that a little bit thinking about that that side of things how can you make best use of the resource you've got do you think yeah so i'll share some data which i've I've been having a bit of a look at which i think is is interesting around sort of people workforce development headline data for people which i think is relevant because it gives us a bit of a sense of scale so this is about england and wales this is from third sector trends uh 2022 looking at employees volunteers diversity and investment in people so kind of workforce scale estimated at 1.1 million people interestingly about 4.3 million volunteers I guess in the northeast, our context, what we're interested most focused on, and I guess the reason why we're most focused on it, um, because of these numbers, we've got about eight thousand, what this report calls third sector organisations, which tends to be mostly charities, but also some social enterprises in there. Around thirty-seven thousand employees in the northeast, and we estimate should be data on this. There might be data on this, but I think the estimate is about twenty to thirty thousand trustees in the northeast. So I guess, probably, yeah. So I guess that's the kind of scale nationally, but also the scale regionally. So I guess there are sort of thirty-seven thousand people, even if we're just looking at employees in the sector. And I guess my curiosity is about what opportunities do they have for growth and development. <laughs> and I think, sadly, 
and I'm happy to be corrected. I don't think very much. I think it's very, very scarce. So then some interesting other data, um, mixed interpretation of this this data um, from the same report talks about they'd lose the language of investing in people, which of course sounds a bit familiar. They talk about 45% of all organisations, all TSOs in England and Wales having a training budget, so less than half. They separate training budgets from personal development. I've looked and looked and looked and I can't see what the difference is <laughs> So with that caveat because we wouldn't really see them as different they talk about 53 percent of all organizations having sort of provision for personal development i suppose this is the interesting thing for me so 91 percent of the biggest third sector organizations 91 percent have significant training budgets whereas only 16 percent of what they describe as micro organizations 16 percent have a training budget and the space in between so in that income, quarter of a million to a million, it's about 84% of organisations have a training budget, dedicated training budget. When we get to 50 to 250,000, it's about 65%. So there's a I mean, clearly something going on here whereby the smaller you are, the less likely it is that you have resources for training and, and personal development. I don't think we'd be hugely surprised by that. Might that tell us that bigger organisations know they need to invest in more people? One of the well, Alex, before you ask me another question, which I think is interesting related to the work, much of the work that you do, there's also a quote in there which says that organisations which invest more heavily, so I guess those bigger ones, generally are more successful at increasing income. Yeah, I mean, I think the stats are definitely really interesting. I think there's, like, as you'll know, there'll be loads of nuance within that as well because like, of those that have training budgets, there were training budgets and then there were training budgets. So. I mean, if you think about the numbers of staff as well, like there'll be a good proportion of that staff that are kind of frontline workers, whether in maybe like social care providers, housing associations and things, they will have like mandatory statutory training that they have to do. So there'll be a training budget for that. Now, that is not the same as, you know, having the the space to think about emotional intelligence and how you communicate with people and all of those sorts of things. So, you know, there's, yeah, there's loads of stuff to to unpick there as well in terms of what different organisations in the sector are investing in training. And of course, there'll be differences, you know, lots of organisations, they might send their senior leadership team on those sorts of courses where you think about emotional intelligence, but then like the other 90% of the workforce are not getting that, they're getting health and safety training and safeguarding training and and things like that which you know obviously important in their roles but you know they're not not necessarily getting that kind of same development opportunity and i wonder whether it's the personal development data i need to dig into this a bit more and i have scanned a whole document for a definition of what they mean by personal development versus training might be a really simple answer to that and i'm just being daft uh, similar data so biggest 93 percent the middle bunch 250 to a 1000000 89%. So similar, the, the statistics kind of broadly look the same. And I assume when they talk about personal development support, it generally regards as a vital aspect of organisational development is people. So I'm assuming in here there's more of the type of stuff that we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. And you say less of the sort of stash type stuff. But I, even in the long form report, I need to ask somebody, what they're grouping up into there. I need to get a little bit below the data to understand that a bit better. But I think there's a broad picture, which wouldn't surprise us, which is the bigger we are, the more turnover we have. At some point, we've probably got like HR dedicated staff. We've yeah. probably got like OD dedicated staff. You know, there's a sort of scale thing going on, isn't there, where an organization yeah. gets to a certain scale rather than juggling all these kind of organizational roles, you start to separate them out because your workforce is at that point where you need, you know, a people development person, you need kind of a sub somebody focused on culture and all those those types of things. So it's not, but I think it tells a story. And I think I know talking to Stephanie about this, we also wonder with the smaller ones, much more project funding based, hard mm-hmm. to secure people development money when actually the money's coming through a project. And I know there's some exceptions to that with the way the National Lottery Community Fund supports through the Grants Plus and other funds as well. So it's not entirely the case, but I just wonder whether 
there's less restricted funding in the mix for smaller organizations that it's much less hard to ring fence resources for for people development for investment in in people yeah i think there's definitely something there so i mean i know it's it's really difficult to generalize but i'm going to ask you to anyway <laughs> so i mean for and and you can caveat for different sizes of organizations i guess but when you're thinking about people development budgets I'm sure you've said before you've got a kind of a bit of a guideline of like percentage of turnover you might want to set aside for that. So it'd be interesting to kind of share share that with people and also just how might people think about structuring that budget once they've got their X percentage. Okay, we've got this amount of money. You know, what what are the, some of the things that you think are, are good things to invest in or how you might think about how you might utilize that budget? Yeah, so so three things to cover here, uh, if it's helpful. So number one, how to resource it. Not everything costs money, but some things do. Secondly, how to allocate that resource once you've managed to ring fence it and defend it, which hopefully as a senior leader or as a chief executive, you have <laughs> authority to do if you choose to. And then what I've called a little bit jargony, sort of type, Apologies of investment. So what? So we've ring fenced the resource. Um, we've thought about how we kind of allocate that, and then we're actually doing the sort of allocation of it. We're thinking kind of imaginatively about the kind of range of things that might help people grow and develop, be effective in work. So in terms of the how, how to resource it, yes, for a number of years now, I suppose based on my experience of being a chief exec and speaking to other chief executives, um, it seemed to me that those organizations that were doing this well seem to be spending about three percent of their turnover on it so if you turn up a hundred thousand you might have three and a half thousand pounds two fifty seven and a half five hundred fifteen thousand etc that's yeah it seems like organizations that are doing it well are spending that like something like that they're allocating something like like that in 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 their budgets so I suppose a shorthand for that is three percent for people. So now there's something in here. A caveat I put in there is if you this sort of assumes that most of your kind of turnover cost is your salaries, which in most organisations is true. If you happen to be an organisation like a social housing provider where big chunks of your budget are to do with capital, you'll clearly need to take a different view. But I think if you're that majority of organisations where typically about eighty percent of your turnover is salaries, quite typical. That three percent for people. What have we? What have we got in our budget lines? What have we got in our annual budgets? Where does it sort of sit alongside that? So I think three percent for people is a good, good aspiration. And then obviously trying to leverage it and match it up. It was easier than it is today, <laughs> but you might find it's harder. I think today to kind of match funding for this type of work harder than it was. To be honest, pre pre austerity, it would be kind of easier to put some money in and to be supported by a kind of easy access sort of support fund in the region that would double your money. So if you can, great. But at least if you've got that sort of baseline. How to allocate it? Dead obvious, I think. Um, you'll note today I'm not talking a lot about volunteers. It's not an area of expertise of mine. So apologies for that because volunteers are obviously part of the, the, the very much part of the workforce and for some organisations, a huge part of what they do, less so for others. So you won't hear me talking about volunteers much because it's it's less. I'm just got far less knowledge and experience around that. I'll leave those sort of expert organisations to do that. Now, how to allocate resources? Three areas, dead obvious, but threes are quite handy, aren't they? I think I would think about kind of individual development activity, maybe a couple of things in there, probably identified through appraisal and supervision if you're using those processes well. So we've identified some development areas for the next year. Okay, I'm looking to do this, this, and this. If the short courses or short interventions and the low cost, you hopefully you'll be able to feel like you can fully fund that. If the longer programs, higher cost, perhaps qualification based. I remember spotting people to do kind of higher level degree study. You might look at making a contribution. You might look at also kind of bonding schemes. So if the person leaves within a year, they pay something back, that type of stuff. So I suppose that kind of individual, uh, identifying individual development areas, then moving into team development activity. So we've talked about what that might be. Think, you know, we might bring somebody in to do a bit of EQ work to get us started. Who, who, who knows? So again, 
uh, based on identified areas, we could use something like our toolkit to self-assess what those things are and say, okay, well, our themes for the next year, we're going to do some work on communication, we're going to do some work on conflict, we're going to have a look at EQ. And over the next 12 months, they're the things we want to put a bit of time and energy into where we have time and energy amongst our busy, busy day jobs. But could be team away days. I love away days if they're facilitated well. I know not everybody does. I think that's probably because I've had bad experiences of them. <laughs> so fantastic opportunities for learning and connecting and exploring and, and kind of moving forward and things. I think, again, massively dependent on type of organisations. I think teams in the organisations we work with, less than a million pounds, I think they should have an annual away day as a team. Day, two days maybe. To, to refresh, to do some work, to do some deep work, see whether they can kind of move away from the office for, for a day. I think that would be a good sort of rhythm to get into. I think ideally something more regular. Uh, oh, yeah. I think, uh, and yeah, of course, like ideally, yeah, we'd do, you know, X, Y, and Z, but I suppose even with stretched resources, I think that, like, I think part of the challenge that comes with those away days is the fact that it's only once a year. So then it's like, it's, either focused on like strategy development and stuff or like it's you know cramming loads of stuff in or or it's just a fun day and then it's kind of like less intentional what you're getting out of it like if you were doing something if it's like a half day on a quarterly basis then you've got like more of a rhythm for coming together and doing things like that and then that could be where you can then explore some of those things like you could spend some time on emotional intelligence and then follow that up with stuff that's built into your your kind of existing schedule and routine. You could do another session on on communications. You could kind of tackle different things at different ones and build in a bit of that sort of fun into it as well and things like that. And I think that that could potentially work really well as opposed to kind of trying to do those sort of single single way days and things. But yeah, it's it's interesting the resources. Often it's the money's always tight but often it's the time that's more difficult isn't it like creating the sort of time and space to to invest in these areas and i think there's there's never spare time so it it is really another case of like it's up to the leadership to say we are committing to putting this time in and you know it and i suppose showing the importance of those things to the organization and investing in in their people uh, invest in those things like emotional intelligence I th- yeah i think that's the biggest challenge in a way isn't it is is, is making the time and that there, there will never be time available and if it's always a kind of well when we get time to do it when we're a bit less busy then we'll do it it will never happen so it's it's having to really really kind of be intentional and and make that kind of decision at a senior level and make the decision to invest the time yeah definitely and um, i um i wasn't suggesting for a moment <laughs> the only thing a team would do in any 12 months is having a way day i think it's useful to do some deep work at some point in the year is what mm-hmm. i would say but if a team say for example want to do some work around conflict intention communication emotional intelligence yeah it's then a program it's then a, is it it's what does that look like across the year what does that yeah. look like for us individually you know so it's definitely not a message around you know once a year we do this the rest of the year we we're not paying any attention to it um i just think there's a nice rhythm in annual i suppose i suppose those longer sessions are facilitated well and that's the key i think allow for kind of deeper engagement deep work mm-hmm. alongside what might be you know shorter sessions you can do you can do it, it, i think that's up to those in the position of kind of making those things happen to sort of determine what's appropriate for the team what we can afford how much time we can spend on those types of things. And you're right, we're always yeah. up against the backdrop of being time. You know, we have a time, we're time poor in the sector, absolutely. And you're right, I think that's a far bigger issue than, you know, having a few hundred pounds to attend this yeah. course or that course. <laughs> it's the cost of being out of the office, out of the work, away from the work from that period of time, which feels even harder to to make make a reality. Yeah, I guess it depends on size of teams and stuff like that as well, doesn't yeah. it? Because if you're... So- a bigger organization then of course like half a day if you're all together you're not going to get very far with much uh whereas if you're a smaller team kind of up, yeah. up, up to 20 people then you can get quite a lot done in that sort of mm. four hour slot yeah yeah and i'll be uh always 
mostly most of my experiences are smaller charities so what i don't have experience over the few exceptions is the big charities with hundreds of staff mm. <laughs> um, our day job is one three six fifteen staff if you're lucky yeah. <laughs> i guess that's because i guess that's yeah. what focuses our attention because our view is that and i guess the data is backing up a bit that's where people have least opportunity to access things like coaching or, or you know other things you know i suppose that's yeah. part of our kind of mission really is to address that gap and be completely blindsided to how the big ones go about this stuff and not disinterested but certainly disinterested in terms of our energy and our work i don't see our work being a great fit for them necessarily if you see yeah. what i mean because it comes from this and, and you know at the end of the day the vast majority of the sector is small it's something 96 percent turns over half less than half a million pounds so the sector is small generally obviously we have some big big organizations in, in, yeah. in but it's, it's and, yeah and i suppose gen as yeah i suppose in general the very large organizations they have in-house resources to yeah. do a lot of this sort of stuff don't they so they don't really need you know they might still get some facilitators in for some of those kind of off-site sessions and things like that but um, they should have those sort of organizational development people that can drive some of those programs and um, covering the topics that we've talked about so yeah still needing to look at those sort of same topics but they have you know yeah that's the resources to do it on a larger scale because that's you know they're working at that scale they've got that number of people that's right i'm um, just to finish my, my third area obviously board trustee development activities mm-hmm. i suppose if we bring fenced out three percent and we're thinking about assigning it are we thinking about assign, making sure that and i don't know whether it's quarters or percentages and flexibility with those things but i would just be making sure that it's a mix of individual investment in individuals investment in team development investment in the board and, and trustee group and yeah some flexibility there but kind of consciously making sure that we think and, and obviously if you have a lot of volunteers i think that would be a fourth um so it could be percentages could be quarters um but we've got our three percent we've got our kind of three areas of focus and then i could just mention some things that i think great investments to make the type of things that you might kind of think about when you are going to spend some of that money as opposed to the things you can do yourself internally yeah i think the the question around the the board investing in people there and individuals and as a team and stuff is a really interesting one but i'm not going to take us down that rabbit hole because i know <laughs> we're we're working towards sort of wrapping up time now anyway but yeah it's it's probably another another episode on the big sort of challenge and opportunity for the sector in terms of boards so yeah, did you did you want to uh, mention some of the specifics? Did you say? Yeah, just briefly, and it's a bit of a, a list, I suppose. But I guess just to finish finish that off, we've ring fenced our three percent. We've kind of got these three areas that we're going to invest in, and then we're thinking about what we might be doing. So I suppose it's making sure we've got our eyes up and seeing what's available. Uh, I'm obviously going to mention mention co- coaching and mentoring for individuals, uh, but also for teams. Kind of really interesting encouraging people to join action learning sets or for teams forming action learning sets or, or training as facilitators of action learning sets so you can do it internally we do quite a bit of that obviously there's taking part in what we call cpd activity so that could be all sorts of things short courses dropping into things kind of longer term things i think um opportunity to attend conference and events i think important for individuals potentially and i say lots of things we can also do that aren't money going out the door really and i suppose think supporting people to do reflection kind of watching podcasts and videos doing reading maybe work shadowing so lots of things that sit alongside this we have a little bit of a framework for this which positions stuff that you might need to pay for alongside all the things that you can do without incurring a cost and i guess it's kind of mixing those things together for an individual in a way or for a team in a way that kind of works across their next year based on their priorities so yeah, I think boards, yeah, it's like different application. I do like away days for boards. It's tend, tend, tends to be what they go for. They're very time poor again. And I think getting the board away for every couple of years is quite good, depending on, on your size of organization. Every year might be a bit much. Lots of great self-assessment tools out there for boards to really identify where they're doing really well and identify where they want to strengthen and, you know, some resources some res- available to organizations to think about what that might be what might that involve and the same rules apply to that conversation we had about the team it's not the just the away day it's 
what are we doing across the year? What's the board doing across the year? What are the areas that we're working on? We might identify them at the way day and then I might embark over the next 12 months and doing some activity around that. So yeah, I guess we also think about thinking about scales is interesting. Maybe that's a bit of a repetition, but I suppose that kind of individual to team to whole staff team to kind of board to whole organizations, a usual spectrum to kind of have in mind when you're making these investments. And I guess you're just making sure that you're allocating your resource in some way using some sort of sensible formula or percentages that you're not just thinking as you talked about earlier alex this isn't just about compliance training or health and safety it's actually about people it's about teamwork it's about the stuff that we've talked about today which is important to all the people in our organization and and especially if we're going to work well together and, and drive our purpose and our work yeah, you've said there's there's a whole bunch of resources that we can share. So we'll get those on the web page, uh, get those links there. If you've got PDFs or anything, we can stick those on there as well. Anything final you want to say before we go? Yeah, I mean, as I said, there's lots of stuff. We'll, we'll I'll, I'll have a look at how you share that stuff with with listeners, um, and we'll spend a bit of time kind of pulling together some material that relates to what we've been we've been talking about today so hopefully people will find that that of interest um you asked me whether i wanted to promote anything <laughs> or request anything uh so if you do happen to be based in the northeast you might want to look to join northeast together we'll put links in for that if you're looking for affordable coaching and you're working in the northeast uh, want the community social enterprise sector have a look at the northeast coaching collective and we do run a couple of open leadership management development programs a year, which are really designed to be affordable and find strike the balance between, yeah, enough time to do some good learning together, but not so much time that people can't commit to it. So that's a that's a three day program, slightly shorter days with a half day at the start and a half day at the end. Um, next one starts next week, but we run those in spring, summer, and kind of autumn, winter of every year. My request, if anybody feels minded to, I'm not sure how you distribute this, whether you're using LinkedIn or whatever, I'd be curious if you wanted to, uh, in three things, what's your annual budget for team, for, for what we've been talking about, for people development, I think is what I would broadly call it. So what's your annual budget? How do you allocate this? And what type of things do you typically invest in and why those things? So, yeah. It'd be interesting to hear whether we can gain right, some cool. insight from, from people. That'd be great. Yeah, good stuff. Definitely recommend all of those bits of well promoted. As I said, the network's fantastic. If you're in the Northeast, really enjoyed being a part of that. Benefited from from the coaching with one of the coaches. Can definitely recommend that. And I know I've not been on Rob and Stephanie's training, but I know from seeing them facilitate sessions and from seeing the sort of work that they produce uh, that, and, and from seeing these frameworks and talking through Rob today, I'm, I'm very confident in recommending that as well. So to answer Rob's few questions, Rob Laycock on LinkedIn, probably can find contact details as well on the Yes We Can uh, community websites. And I think that's probably everything for us for today. Uh, so if you've made it all the way to the end, thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks, Rob, uh, for your time. It's been great. So yeah, until next time, take care. Thanks, Alex.